let's uh, turn in our Bibles now to Haggai chapter 2. We're going to read verses 20 through 23. You can find that in your pew Bibles on page 1470, 1470. Haggai chapter 2, verses 20 to 23. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant, Zerubbabel, son of Chealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Thus ends our reading of God's infallible word. May all who hear it find comfort in knowing that the Lord Almighty will shake the heavens and the earth. When the moment in life is bigger than you, what do you do? When God has called you to, to, to something that seems like more than you can handle, to whom do you turn? As times change, the world seems to keep getting smaller and smaller, and yet the challenges that we face seem to get bigger. We live in the information age, a time when we have access to what seems to be an endless supply of knowledge. But instead of making life easier, we become overwhelmed and are lost. Zerubbabel lived in changing times as well. His world was, was getting smaller too, as this Persian empire under King Darius was connecting remote parts of the world to one another. And instead of making life easier for this leader of the Jews, it brought about new troubles. For a man like Zerubbabel, one, one who had to lead God's people in the rebuilding of the Lord's temple, this moment was bigger than him. And I have to imagine that he felt pretty small for the task at hand. God knew this. And, and to encourage this man, he had one last word. We are at the, the final stage of this small but powerful book known to us as Haggai. And over the past six weeks, we, we, we've tried to answer the, the, the question, how does an exiled people, a people who, who have now returned home, how do they rebuild their lives and how do they put God at the center of it all? And in answer to this question, we've seen this progressive movement from, from them being a cursed people, living in apathy towards God, to, to, to becoming obedient and living under God's blessings. If you recall from, from week one, we talked about how six times God spoke, through, spoke to his people through the prophet Haggai. First, in, in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, 
There God spoke through Haggai to both the, the governor, Zerubbabel, and to the high priest, Joshua. And the word that he gave concerned the sin of the people. A people who had said that the time had not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Next, in, in verses 3 through 11, God spoke another word, calling for his people to take careful thought. Careful thought over their economic woes. And notice that God's hand was in all of it. It was a call for repentance. It was a call to rebuild his house. Then in, in verses 12 through 15, we saw that the people did repent as the Lord stirred up their spirits and they began to rebuild the temple. And so God told them that, that he was with them. His presence had returned. Which brought us into chapter 2, where in verses 1 through 9, God gave to his people a word of encouragement through the promise of a greater glory, a glory that would fill his temple as the nations would pour their wealth into that temple in honor of his name. And then last week in verses 10 through 19 of that same chapter, we saw that, the, the, that on the day that when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, God provided another word that would strengthen his people, a word of his promised blessings. Even though they were defiled and undeserving, God would pour his favor out on them. God said that from this day on, he would lift the curse and they would see an, abund an abundance from their labors as their fields, vineyards, and orchards would bear much fruit. And now today, in, in verses 20 through 23, we see this story culminate with, with one last word of promise, that God's kingdom... This kingdom of heaven would come forth and be established. The first step was already underway in the reconstruction of God's temple, God's throne room, if you will. For it would, it would be from this temple, from his house, that he would begin to take dominion over all of the earth. And yet there was one more thing, one more message that God needed to, to deliver in order to set his plans in motion. For in this last word, God would call forth his king, the one who would be his signet ring, carrying out his will among the nations. But before we jump in, let me give you a, a brief outline of what we're going to see in this passage. In verse, in verse 20, we see the setting in which the, the word of the Lord came. And then in verse 21, we'll, we'll see, the, we'll see we'll, the arrival of God upon the world stage. In verse 22, we discover the effect that God will have upon the powers that be as he makes all authorities subject to himself. And finally, in verse 23, we see God establishing his chosen one, this signet ring, to be king over the nations. So let's look at our text and see how it is that God's kingdom comes about. Look at verses 20 and 21. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I will shake the heavens and the earth. Two things to quickly notice here. 
First, we see that this is the same day as the laying of the foundation of the temple. This, this message is coming off the heels of God's word to bless his people. And second, this is, this is a message given, given to a specific person, Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. This isn't a word for the remnant of Israel or even for Joshua, the high priest. It is for the man who is ultimately responsible for leading this people and for carrying out the work of rebuilding this temple. Now, I hope you notice that this word that is given to Zerubbabel is very similar to a message that we saw earlier. I will shake the heavens and the earth. We saw this a few weeks back in Haggai chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. This is what that says. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and the desired of all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. God was shaking the cosmos, bringing about chaos and disrupting the plans of men. When this language was used earlier, it spoke of the wealth of the nations streaming into the temple. But now here, God has a different purpose in mind. The Lord has arrived on the scene, and none can stand in his way. He will bring about his will, and not even the strongest of men or the mightiest of angels can thwart his intentions. The point of this is, is that God wants Zerubbabel to know that he is coming. He is going to shake things up, and he does so for the good of his people. But what does that look like? Look at verse 22. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. I will overturn. I will shatter. I will overthrow. These are, are, are words of victory for God and destruction for his enemies. What, what they will experience is a, is a total defeat. And this is what, what God will do to the powers of this world. And there are two realms where, where the Lord will show his might. There is a realm of politics and the realm of war. Politically, he, he will topple thrones and kingdoms. Thrones meaning rulers. Those who are in charge. Kingdoms, meaning nations, the, the, the world powers. God has charge of both. He decides who will rule a nation. And, and he is the one who determines whether or not that nation will rise or fall. And not even the, the, the mightiest of weapons can put a stop to it. Back then, chariots and, and mighty horsemen would be the determining factors in the outcome of a battle. They, they were the most potent weapons in a king's arsenal. And yet God, he, he says here that he will overthrow them. That each would fall by the sword of his own brother. The, the pride of nations is their military might. But that is a, a false sense of confidence. 
For, for any nation that stands against God's kingdom, that nation is destined to fall. Persia, Greece, Rome, all once dominant powers on the world stage but are no more. Today, people think of countries like ours, like America, or Russia, or, or China as, a, as being the major players out there. These are nations that seem invulnerable. I mean, if, if Russia can spring back from the fall of communism, then surely a, a nation like ours is going to last forever, right? And yet even this mighty nation, this unassailable beacon of freedom, it would crumble apart in the palm of God's hand. With this being an election year, many people are putting their hopes in, in one candidate or the next. And while I think it is important for us to vote, I hope you understand that the sun doesn't rise and fall based on who the president is. Seeing your man or your woman in the White House is a false hope. For even America must one day give way to this kingdom of God. Let me ask you, do you see God as sovereign over everything? Do you view him as your king? Do you realize that he is the one who is in control? Or are you putting your trust in the authorities of this world? I mean, is your, is your hope sitting in the Oval Office? Or, or is he sitting on a throne in heaven? It was King Darius and the Persians who held sway over Zerubbabel and the people of Judah. But God, he was bringing about his kingdom. And, and Zerubbabel would be a crucial part to his plan. Let's, let's look at our last verse. Look at verse 23. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. On that day. On what day? On the day when God arrives. On the day when he shakes the heavens and the earth. On the day when he subjugates the nations and the powers that be. Uh, on that day, he will, he will establish Zerubbabel as his signet ring. Now, there are a few things that we must take note of here. In fact, there are four titles that are given to Zerubbabel that are of utmost importance. He is called God's servant. He is called the son of Shealtiel. He is called God's signet ring. And he is called God's chosen. Let's look at each of these titles and see why they are significant. First, he is a servant. Now, a servant is one who, who, who works for the pleasure of his master. And he is in, in the know of some of the most intimate details of his master's business. But he has no authority of his own. Everything he, he does is, is tied to his relationship with his, that master. This is exactly how, how David viewed his role as king over Israel. Look at Psalm 89, verses 3 and 4. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. 
I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. Selah. David, the, the, the king that was chosen by God, the one whose line would be established forever and whose throne would remain firm through all generations. He was God's servant. Often we, we think of the position of a servant as someone who is in subjection to another. But it can also be a title of trust and a term of endearment. God had, had faith in David, believing in him to be the right man to lead his people. And God loved David as well, like a father would his son. This is what God was saying to Zerubbabel. You are my servant like David. I trust you. I love you. But if that wasn't enough, enough to encourage this man, God continues with a, a second title, the son of Shealtiel. Now, now here's where things become a little tricky. You see, all throughout this book of Haggai, Zerubbabel has been called the son of Shealtiel. But if you, if you look at 1 Chronicles chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, you'll find something altogether different. L listen to what it says. The descendants of Jehoiachin, the captive, Shealtiel his son, Malkaram, Padiah, Shenazar, Jechamiah, Hoshamah, Nedabiah, the sons of Padiah, Zerubbabel, and Shemai. What we see here is that Zerubbabel was not Shealtiel's son. Rather, he was his nephew. Padiah, Shealtiel's brother, was the true father of Zerubbabel. So what's going on here? Why does God call him the son of Shealtiel? Well, as we look at, at, at our next title, the, the signet ring, we'll, 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 we'll have a better understanding of this. Things will begin to clear up. Now, now, signet rings were, were rings worn by kings in order to seal or, or to authenticate important documents. Say a, say a command needed to be given to a, a regent in a neighboring land. The, the, the king would, he would write his letter and then seal it with some melted wax. The king would then make that impression with his ring, letting the regent know that this command came straight from his throne. The idea that Zerubbabel was God's signet ring demonstrates that he is the one through whom God's commands would be carried out. That is the role of a king. But there's, but there's more going on here. And we saw this in our first scripture reading. Look, look again at Jeremiah chapter 22. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, even if you, Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were a signet ring on my right hand, I would still pull you off. I will hand you over to those who seek your life, those you fear, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and to the Babylonians. I, I will hurl you and the mother who gave you birth into another country where neither of you was born, and there you both will die. You will never come back into the land you long to return to. Is this man Jehoiachin a, a despised, broken pot, an object no one wants? 
Why will he and his children be hurled out, cast into a land they do not know? O oh, land, 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 hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Record this man as if childless, a man who will not prosper in his lifetime. For none of his offspring will prosper. None will sit on the throne of David or rule any more in Judah. Now we've talked about Jehoiachin before. He, he was the, the king of Judah who was deposed by Nebuchadnezzar. God had cursed this man because he was not a servant and had rebelled against God. And as we just read, the Lord uses this imagery of, of removing his signet ring and just tossing it away to describe his disgust with this man. And part of this curse was that neither he nor his offspring would sit upon the throne of David. They were to record this man as if childless. This meant that the children that he currently had, those who, who were born in Judah, would not be heir to the throne. Chieltiel was one of those sons. And it was him who was next in line. But, it, but in the records, we, we are never given a genealogy for Chieltiel. If he had any children, we just don't know about it. But Padiah, Zerubbabel's true father, would have been born after Jehoiachin would have been exiled to Babylon. And so the line of David would flow through Padiah instead of Shealtiel. And now it is Zerubbabel, whose name, by the way, means son of Babylon. He is the one on whom the crown falls. And the reason God calls him the son of Shealtiel is to legitimize this man giving him credence that he is the rightful heir of King David. He is filling the spot of the next in line, the one who would lay claim to the throne. And God calls him his signet ring as a way of demonstrating that through this man, God was lifting the curse of Jehoiachin. It would be through Zerubbabel that the line of David would be redeemed. And finally, if, if that wasn't enough to build the confidence of this man, God says this, For I have chosen you. And this is our last title, God's Chosen. God looks at the hearts of men. He knows who has a servant's heart and who has a heart of rebellion. And he, and he picks the man that has a heart after his own will. This was Zerubbabel. God had chosen him, and God doesn't make mistakes. There was no reason to fear the moment. He would be the man that would rebuild the temple, reestablishing the connection between Yahweh and his people. This would be the first of, the, of one of many stepping stones that would lead to the breaking in of God's kingdom. Did Zerubbabel ever see the day when the heavens shook and the earth quaked? Did he get to witness the overturning of thrones and the shattering of foreign powers? No. He was a man called by God for a specific moment at a specific time. And the fruit of his labors wouldn't be harvested until another servant, another son of Shealtiel, 
another signet ring, another who was chosen by God would appear on the scene. You see, God did arrive in the person of Jesus Christ. And he brought his kingdom with him. He is the one who, who subjugates all the authorities of this world. He is the one who overturns throw, thrones and shatters the powers of foreign nations. He is the one who overthrows chariots and makes horses and their riders fall. He is the one that brings about the day of the Lord and establishes his kingdom. For he is that servant, the one who is both trustworthy and loved by his father. He is the son of Shealtiel, that Davidic king who is the Messiah. He is that signet ring worn by the finger of God, the one who carries out his father's will and redeems his people through his life, death, and resurrection. For he was chosen by his father for that very purpose. This is how he brings about his kingdom and, make the, and makes the nations fall on their knees. Dear friends, give careful thought to this story of Haggai. What was it about? It was about the rebuilding of God's house. Why? To restore the connection between God and his people. But it is through Jesus that we see the real temple. The real connection. Because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. There must be a true sacrifice that these things point to. Jesus, the, the Lamb of God, died on the cross for your sins. And it is only through Him that you can be cleansed and find the forgiveness that you need and to enter into God's presence. But just like the people of Judah, you must repent. You must turn from your sins and trust in Him. You must have your spirit stirred up by God in order for God to be with you. For only then will you see his greater glory. Only then will you experience the blessings of God. For if your hope is in Jesus and Jesus alone, in the signet ring of God, then when the heavens shake and when the, and when the earth trembles at his arrival, you will find a firm footing in the rock who is Christ. Brothers, Sisters, the time has come to build God's house. Let go of all that hinders and hold fast to your true calling as God's church. Let us pray. Father, we are so thankful for this book of Haggai that even a people who were defiled and lost could be brought back to you. That is each and every one of us. Before Christ, we, we were just hopeless souls. But you called us to repent and to believe in your Son. You stirred up our spirits by the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us to, to build your house as we look to Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.